my final day. Around 11.35am on Monday, May 11th, 1981, Nestor Robert Marley died in a Miami hospital of cancer at the age of 36. During his brief life, Bob Marley's irresistible personality and powerful lyrics of peace, unity and love resonated with the world, all the while elevating him to a worldwide cultural icon. Hello. Hello. Rockabies. This is this is a special day. This one is. I'm excited. Could we I talk about a musical hero? Time. I know. They're all every special. Th- but every time I say the same thing, you're like, this is a special one. I go, I know. I'm excited. It's almost like we could do, I could just, you know, plug it in. <laughs> I know. Because when I went to a, a party before here, um, is a shower actually, and I said this person's name is like, it's like a lull that comes over yeah. people, kind of like Sam Cooke. Today, we are talking about the amazing Bob Marley. The quintessential. My musical, one of one of my musical heroes. Top Yeah, I have quite a heroes. few too, So, but he's, he's definitely up there. He's up there. I mean, he, um, you know, I'll just get to the quote, because we're going to get into Bob Marley, because... Bob Marley is special, and we'll probably make a little series, little little reggae series about his other partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably be interviewing someone soon that is a part of the reggae, dance hall reggae. Yeah, the new reggae. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We'll be able to interview them, and I can't wait. Um, and you're going to love it, Rock a Baby, so you got to stay tuned. But Salman Rushdie once said that a poet's work is to name the unnameable, to point at frauds, to take sides, start arguments, shape the world, and stop it from going to sleep. Mm. Wow. And I really think that that's Bob. Mm-hmm. He didn't wasn't really good about taking sides, but mm. actually he did. He he said he would he would tell you he takes God's side. Oh, that's, that's what Bob Marley. You know, would it's say. interesting that you just said you said about sleep. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Bob only slept uh, four hours a night. Exactly. <laughs> and he was like, I'll sleep when I'm dead yeah, type of thing. Yeah, I mean, he, he was big about waking up in the middle of the night. You're yeah, right. Yeah. As we will see. I mean. It's and, just funny that that was the quote and you said that. And I'm like, yeah, wow, perfect. that's right. I didn't yeah. even think that was subconscious right there. But again, even with him, he had like the biggest thing that I noticed with all these artists. And we're, we, we're not really, we're kind of randomly picking them, but we're not right. because I feel like they're picking us. And that is so true. Because it's very weird. Like we, you know, there is clearly hundreds of dead musicians that have had an impact. But what's interesting, you hear these stories and we'll find out throughout the show. Yeah. They all like jam packed life into these short period of time. I know that is so true. I'm thinking about it because I love what you said about them picking us because somebody just the other day at my job and I meant I could have told you this off off the mic but I'm gonna tell you this now the person said he was asking us about asking me about our podcast I told him about our podcast and I just happened to just kind of throw names at the top of my head I'm with Elliot Smith and he's just stopped and went I love Elliot that's Smith. how everyone reacts to little Elliot 
he's like, I can't wait. That's the first one I'm going to listen to. Mm. And it's funny because I told him, I said, Elliot felt ambitious from the grave. Yeah. Like, I think I've told you that. And I feel like Eve, these people are like picking us. It's like, it's. And they all have, the weird part is there's a thread between their stories. Like, getting to know, because I always loved Bob Marley. Again, I've said this on other shows. Oh, no, I've loved too. the artist. And then I get to know more about them person, mm-hmm. personally. And uh, just, there's a thread even between. Bob Marley and Nina's story like mm. it's weird and you what's the thread go well I've, I've I mean I figure we're gonna get into it more I don't want to give up too much right yeah. now yeah okay oh show. I love but it things I, I do it. like I mean he was very much about uh you know part of he was he was very much about many things but part of his work was about a revolution and Nina was very much about her own revolution like mm-hmm. you know in a different side and yeah, they just yeah. And then we'll get into it, you know, right. of course, like all the stories of the artists, they all have record deal issues. Right. <laughs> We're oh going to get into God. all of it. We've got to do a show on that. But, you know, it's funny that you said that because Rumi said, raise your words, not your voice. It is mm-hmm. rain that grows flowers, not thunder. Oh. And I would think that would be... Bob that. Marley in a heartbeat. Oh my God! You know it's so crazy, what? and because I feel the same way. Like Bob Marley had such a what? Well, what Ava said while she was still here. Yeah. Um, she had said that she it was so interesting, and I totally understand that. She was like, she goes, when I think of Bob Marley, I she's like, I forget that there's lyrics because I feel the feeling of his music. Yeah. And that I think is really because his lyrics were very very powerful, obviously. Yes. But when you hear Bob Marley, you it even you know a lot it's of Bob Marley, and you kind of there's a lot of heavy there's. There's a lot of heavy lyrics, but it feels happy. Oh, we're going to get into that sound of mm-hmm. Bob Marley and where that sound yeah. started yeah, from. Yeah, it's a full hybrid of... It's yeah, a... because there is a person connected to that sound with mm-hmm. Bob Marley that sat down with Bob Marley to create that sound. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to that person. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about but, it. Um, so we just gave the end, the beginning quotes. I'm sorry, in, not end quotes, but beginning quotes. And... Um, I guess let's just jump right into it. You know, um, like Sam Cooke, and I know I wrote Jim Morrison too, but Bob Marley possessed this charismatic mystique that made him so irresistible even after his death. Mm -hmm. You know, he was such a one of a kind. Um, Very, very much. And uh, in the summer of 1944, 18-year-old Sadella Malcolm, his mom, a pregnant black woman, married 60-something-year-old Norval Marley, who was a white man. And rather than face disinheritance from his wealthy family, uh, Norval, Captain Norval, I would say, left the next day after he married Like, why Bob even Mar- do it? Why even get married? Like, it's just... I know. Ugh. Maybe he gave him legitimacy by doing that, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's true, but still, what a piece of... I know that bus. that was that was wrong, completely wrong. It's just the day after. I mean, that's I know really it's like, sad. dang, could you wait like a month later? Yeah, give him a it, dang. But eight months later, Nesta Robert Marley was born around two thirty a.m. on a Wednesday, February sixth, in nineteen forty-five, in Nine Miles, Jamaica, and all three names came from his dad's side. Oh, wow. You know, Robert was the name of his uncle, his Norval's brother. And, um, you know, it's sad because Bob saw his dad 
maybe two times in his life, That's around two times in his life. Um, he grew up a country boy, you know, on a farm, mm-hmm. barn, a bar, I'm calling barn, but that's the margarita, I should say, speaking. <laughs> but, you know, Bob walked around, you know, barefoot on a farm at his grandparents' place, and there wasn't much money, mm-hmm. um, but he was particularly close to his grandpa because he, he learned how to, like, till land, chop wood, care for milk cows, um, groom horses, mules, and donkeys. Um, and they were all really musical, too. Yes, they were. Yeah, like the whole, everybody was musical. Yes. You want to elaborate or are you, are you, I didn't elaborate, but I should. No, but, yes, but they, they just, were they elaborate. just, just they were you were musical. saying about like all the stuff that he was taught because he talked about that, that yes. every, they were all very, very musical. So, the, the, and, the black side. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. His dad, his mom, dad's no, side the, was very rich. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were, were super of, rich. No, definitely. His dad was like a British side. guy. He was a British. Yeah, I know. Um, in the documentary, they just show one picture of him on the horse. Yeah, they <laughs> did. That was, they said had, that was the only picture they yeah, had. You had of to Bob call Marley. him Captain, which is Captain, super creepy. Captain Marley, yeah. Um, and Norville is such a name. Norville. Isn't it funny though when you think of the word Marley? Like you don't have to like if you hear Marley, you think black. all you think is Bob Marley. That's all <laughs> I you love think. It. That's the only thing you think. But you know what? That's karma. That's exactly karma. I think it's amazing. That's karma. That's br- that is brilliant karma. Yeah, it's that's like, beautiful okay, karma. You motherfuckers are gonna leave your little boy. Yeah, Watch you're what gonna that leave little the boy's black guy. Do. All right, cool. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, because his, you know, um, and at school he was known to be very shy. He was a very shy mm-hmm. kid, even up into his adulthood. And I, I remember from the documentary we talked about, they said that was a part of his allure, even as an adult. Oh, I think that shy. would totally. I mean, that would turn anybody, any woman on, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a shy guy. And when Bob and he's was pretty a, damn handsome, he's gorgeous. He was a gorgeous man, even with the, I mean, with the dreadlocks, it made him even cuter. Oh yeah, but he was sexy. I was obsessed with Bob Marley. Everybody is. We all, but I, you know what's interesting? They, in the documentary, they do mention, and I don't know if I'm rushing ahead. And the documentary is called Marley. Oh, it's so good. Came out in 2012. Go Um, see it. What was interesting, they talked about, and I, again, stop me if I'm rushing ahead, but uh, how there was, because, because, you know, reggae and specifically Bob Marley is quite universal. Oh, we're going to get to that. So I stop. Yeah, because it's quite that's going to be good. It's, it's universal. Music. It's universal. It's going to be good, but it's going to be good yeah. when we get. Because I don't, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Bob Marley. I want you, musically. I want you to bring that up. You might have when we get to it. I'll be like, go. When I say go, you'll know. All right, you can go for it. You know, um, and the story is kind of about Bob Marley and his right foot. Mm-hmm. It's almost a story like a simultaneous like narrative that goes along this. Um, his story because, uh, you know, running when he was a little, little kid running along the road, you know, out in the farm one day, he stepped with his right foot on a broken, a broken bottle. And it was the first time that he injured his right foot. And it's important. And we'll keep, we'll keep this tally going about Bob Marley's right foot. You know, we're going to keep this tally because there's multiple. This this is is one. And so another time while playing in the stream, still young, I, I don't know the exact age, but he stubbed his big toe of his right foot, cutting it open, and it became almost like gangrene. 
Like he told his mom who, who you know, when it came bad, and his mom wrapped it in herbs to take down the inflammation mm-hmm. and remove the poison. But from, from then on, that toy was... And it was his to- right toe. Right toe. His big toe? Right big toe. What? And it became black, kind of like, this is the second time. Wow. Still How young. How old was he? He was um, not... You know, uh, I think I think it was pretty young. He was still living out on the farm, so it was probably before twelve. Oh wow! Before the twelve years old, and and while living in Nine Mile, That's some crazy foreshadowing, though. I know. It's God, bobbing it that really... that right foot. Wow. Um, and this is the second time. Okay. More to come. So, and I hope our rocket babies keep a tally too. But we'll <laughs> keep it for you. Um, and while living in Nine Mile, which where he was born. Um, his mom, Sadella, started dating a married man named Toddy Livingston. And Toddy was the father of Bob's good friend. And he was a kid, his childhood friend, which they were still kids, Neville, mm-hmm. whose nickname was Bunny. Oh. Bunny's name is Neville Livingston. He's Bunny Whaler, and who would, go, of course, go on to become one of the original Whalers, mm-hmm. right, with Bob. And That's a, a very different name. Isn't it? Bunny that was his little nickname. Bunny Neville, was his nickname. No, oh, no. Know? Yeah, it was Neville Livingston. Yep, Neville oh, wow. Livingston. His dad was named Toddy. They were friends, and then it got more than that. You mm-hmm. know, it was just, I think it was kind of caught up a little bit. And um, around 12 years old, when Bob was around 12 years old, he moved to a poor area in Kingston called Trenchtown mm-hmm. to, to be with his mom, who had moved there first to find work. And that area was really poor and rough, and his mom had worried about him. You know, she worried about her son because he wasn't really a, he would grow to be only like five seven, and he was mixed and you know. Yeah, he was I, not a big guy. Exactly, and in school he had been picked on a lot. Like he was bullied because people were jealous yeah. of his looks, and he looked so different from the kids. And when he wasn't accepted by like either sides. Exactly, which kind of. Um, it kind of affected him for the rest of his life mm-hmm. in a good way, I guess, because he would always, you know, have, a, a, I think I have a quote from him about what he talks about how, you know, and I actually I can read it, but, you know, he was a five seven type of guy who grow to be that, and mm-hmm. in Kingston, in uh, Trenchtown though there was lots of crime and gangs. She was always worried about mm-hmm. him, but he wasn't a gangster type, you know. But he, the great thing about Trenchtown is that that's where he found his life purpose, which mm-hmm. was music. Don't um, you think, though, just to stop for one second, but yeah. don't you think that there really is, I mean, this gets into a little bit of, you know, how I get about mysticism and stuff like that. But, like, to, that he was, like, given this purpose to be who he was, mm. like, that... Th- all those things that made him different, all those things that made him not fully fit also right. gave him this power. Who he was, His you know, power. and that he chose to use that and channel it. And really mm-hmm. he did put a lot of love in, and also he put a lot of children into the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot he, of love. He was fertile. He was, 
He was fertile and, and mentally and everything. I mean, yeah, and you know what? There's gonna come a time when we talk about um, his particular religion that really mm-hmm. fed into all that and really allowed him to like it really blossom mm-hmm. from him. But you're right. He he would later say, you know, I don't have prejudice against myself. You know, my father was white and my mother was black, and they call me a half caste. I could say it in patois, but it wouldn't sound as good as Bob, mm-hmm. but. He said, I don't dip on anybody's side. I dip. I don't dip on the black man's side nor the white man's side. I dip on God's side. Oh. The one who created me and caused me to come from black and white. So you're right. You, mm-hmm. you're, you touched on it perfectly that he knew where, he, where his place was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, later on in life, and we'll get to it, he really wanted to touch uh, black people around mm-hmm. the world, um, especially African Americans. He really mm-hmm. took different steps. And... Um, Ziggy, his son, talked about it in that documentary about mm-hmm. his dad really wanted to. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're so excited. I know, I know, I know. Sorry. I know it's I'm me. It's me. I can't, tell, I can't help myself. But um, when he was 15 in 1960, he began to take part in this, in Trenchtown, in these like evening music sessions held in his neighborhood by Joe Higgs, um, who was like a music tutor to the kids in the area. And he coached 15-year-old Bob and Bunny, you know, whose father had moved there as well. Like Bunny had moved there as well. About the and the one thing about Joe Higgs, which they really give him a lot of credit, he taught them of the art about writing lyrics, mm-hmm. breath control, melody, harmonizing, and he encouraged Bob to sing in order to kind of strengthen his voice, which mm-hmm. you know, you know, you gotta sing in order to strengthen that voice. And at one of these sessions, Bob and Bet Bunny met tall and gangly Peter McIntosh, who also wanted to sing. And Peter McIntosh shortened his last name to Tosh. And he was the third original whaler. And he owned, the great thing about Peter is that he owned his own guitar and was just a competent guitarist out of all mm-hmm. of them. You know, and in 1961, a year later, at the urging of Joe Higgs, he encouraged them to form a group Um and they called themselves the teenagers at first. And they called them the teenagers. The teenagers, That's yeah, so it was cute. cute. They were all. How old was Peter Tosh at that? I mean, how tall was he at that point? You know what? That's a good question. He would grow to be six feet five. I had no. I knew he was tall, but I had no idea he was yeah, that Peter tall. tall. Peter, t- <laughs> Peter tall. Peter tall. Peter Macintosh Tosh who is also an incredible... But it's just so funny because this would be like... Because Bob Marley was... Teeny. Little guy. Him and him and Bunny, yeah. And next to Peter. Yeah, Peter was Peter was imposing even at that age, I think. Mm-hmm. He was already another one with another purpose. Oh, totally. life he's, purpose. I think he's absolutely amazing. He's you intensely about ben, amazing. But he's, I, I We listen to Peter Tosh quite a bit, actually. I know. I You know... That, ben pulled that, out a record. We have. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I love it. And who knows? Maybe Peter might be the next one. Hey. hey. Um, but, you know, um, at some point they changed their names to the Wailing Wailers, you know. And Do you remember why? Well, there's differing stories. Oh, okay. Because I heard different a couple of stories, people, too. Yeah, they're all there was different. A... Wailing yeah. Wailers meant something about to cry out in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, a term, but... Different people talk about how it came to I know, to that's be what I thought too. I thought Wailers. maybe, I was asking because I thought maybe you would know because I heard three different reasons why. I'm like, oh, okay. Because at first I'm like, that's cool. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't know. I know, it's different ones and you don't really know. That's why I kept it out because I didn't know which one was the actual yeah, story. That's... 
But well, I just somehow, figured the wizard you are, you would know the actual story. I had heard, we'll say I had God heard a created. God created. That I think so way, too. Way. Yeah, yeah. the universe. The universe took a hold of that one. And mm-hmm. um, but you know what? One thing about Bob was he was determined to master music so much so mm-hmm. that he created his own guitar using a bamboo staff and electric cable wire. Mm-hmm. And when he got up in the morning, he picked up his guitar and would rarely be without it for the rest of the day. Didn't and night. it have four strings? Maybe. And he practiced hard. Yeah. I love this story. I don't, again, I don't know. We're jumping ahead. No, I love it. No, 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 no. I don't, I think this is much more ahead because this is about how reggae came to be. So, oh, well, yes, yes. It's, it's a guitar oh, thing, yes. Though, and I love, I love it. it. I love it because my whole world be a involves a from Miss Gabby. Yeah. My whole world is about weird sounds. So, this makes I really love happy. it. I love it. I love it. So, Joe. Sorry, we're massive nerds today. <laughs> I know we are massive nerds because we're talking about one of our musical heroes. I mean, you know, and, and Joe Higgs would make Bob, Bunny, and Peter practice and rehearse until five in the morning. Wow, and these guys, they're like still kids at this point. They were total teenagers, yeah. And they loved it. Yeah. You know, um, Bob signed his first recording contract at 16 with Leslie Kong. It's a guy mm-hmm. who owned a record label. He's a record label owner. And Bob recorded his first song called Judge Not, which wasn't a big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, because I know you love contract specifications. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> the contract specified that he'd be paid five pounds. That's yeah, crazy. no, it was outrageous. And but when you're a teenager, you just like I just want to record. Yeah. Um. And when he recorded the song, he took Bunny along with him for like more. So what support. year was this? So if he was like that was like 1961. 60. Well, they 60, even said 60. Yeah, one or 60. Yeah, like right around the early 60s. But they were even saying a that like also 61. Yeah, like they were at that point. They're like, well, you know what? Uh, you get a record contract. Musicians aren't making any money. Like that's just and that was just a given. Yeah. Which and when is you're insane. a teenager, what the hell do you know? We talked about Left Eye. It's like I just want to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? And of course, they weren't huge at that point, but still, they still had a record deal. Right, right. That's so true. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Um, after the release of the song, which didn't do well, Leslie Bob asked for more money, and Leslie refused to give more mm-hmm. money to Bob. And he was like, "Screw this! I'm in this contract." Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because Leslie Kong had like a really tragic death, like in 1971. He died of like a heart attack at like 30. 38 oh really i'm just kind of coming at the top of my head and remembering that um and i I read in one book because i read a lot of books i do a lot of research and one is like bob had prophesied like you know he must have gotten mad at him and i don't know if this is true this is just a rumor um that he had prophesied to him that you won't be able to enjoy any fruits of my um of my songs but i don't know if that's true. i don't know but I, you know how i am i but love bob that stuff. is I like you know well karma don't fuck with people i have a major issue you know with that's all these true. record contracts i'm sorry for his death and all that shit but yeah. come on like stop that's why the like, record company i think went the record companies that went down i think and napster well, came this, out I love and itunes I'm, came up i'm putting my hand up there's two I know, of us, of us in this room like, my hand is i know normally like, we have a, a whole row of people here you know tammy's not here ava's not here oh it's Gap's so funny not though here. Oh, little gabby but um, like it's so crazy to me because i mean good in a way but what was oh no good in the way that things yeah. are changing because they are now you it's much that. more they are changing mm-hmm. it's been a long it's been about 20 years of the turmoil but i think like you hear a these hundred. stories 
Well, oh, oh, I'm talking about just a shift. But you hear, mm, you hear true. these stories. It's over and over and over again. Every artist we've talked about, every single artist, they've had an issue with a record deal. And and it's not like where these, these like... And you know, the, the wonderful thing is it makes you feel, you, because you're a musical artist, you weren't alone. Yeah, and now, and I feel like right now we're in a better, Cause it's, we're in a better Marley. time. We're yeah. in a better time. Not a better time in some ways, but I mean, but we're in a time that we can. But you any certain way about even the contract that you signed because you wanted to sign it. You know what I mean? We said your dad was like, oh, don't do that. But now you know why. The <laughs> yeah, feeling that you. takes over people and they're like, you know what? No, I want well, to Yeah, because you want that. It's like, there's all sorts of things that go into it. And I've said this in record. previous shows. It, it gives you validation. It gives you opportunity to be able to do something you love. And so you're willing to just be like, well, all right, I guess like I'm not going to make anything off. But who? But you're also, especially when you're young, you're rarely thinking of tomorrow. You're thinking of right now. And that's and not all, true. not all deals in are created also, equally. In lots of things. In lots of things. Yeah. You're thinking that way. And, you, you know, not everything's created equally. There's lots of people that have signed good things. It's just mm-hmm. there has been a theme, like literally every artist we've uh, talked about, they've all had some issue mm-hmm. with the labels. And I don't, I don't know very many people that haven't. We can so. interview somebody from the labels yeah. to kind of like maybe somebody old school who can talk to us yeah. and really like don't have anything to lose like Quincy Jones. Totally. Somebody like, like Quincy that... Jones or somebody that can really like give us some Well we've said it too from the beginning like it, and I feel this is what's this is the paradox of the music industry is that it's music business but you're dealing with artists and that is blending mm. that is I think that's, that's a conflict the weird, of interest yeah so that's the weird and it, it works and it's a big business unless you're Sam Cooke because he seems to be the only one that was like I know my worth yeah, Boom. He's, he's a he's a he well, was like, I want more. He's a perfect man. Yeah, and he knew he wanted publishing <laughs> rights and everything. I know. Not too so many people smart. think like that. But anyway. Now they do. But now, yeah, okay, so we're... Exactly. That's true. Sam has to get himself in every single show. He's a little bit of a showboat. He's like, please talk about me. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. Did you get that poster, by the way? It hasn't arrived yet, but I, I, I did win the poster. You know, we have to take a picture of the poster and put I it know. on the Instagram. Yes, yeah, Sam. And maybe on Facebook, too. I'm so going to that... need more wall space. So this podcast better get big because I need I need uh I want every single artist we ever talk I about. I definitely in here. want to be able to come in here and look at Sam. Yeah, Sam's gonna be right there. Sam's gonna be right. Oh, yeah. I love it. I can't wait. We got to put it on yeah. on Instagram for our Rocket Babies. Yeah, so they can see Sam is like our Sam needs to be our here. Godfather here, mm-hmm. our podcast Godfather, which he is. Um, so in uh, Bob's in 1962, Bob's mom Sadella became pregnant by Toddy Livingston, Bunny's dad, and gave birth to Pearl Livingston. Um, And with the birth of Pearl, Sadella, her name was Sadella, beautiful name, his mom, realized the relationship was kind of hopeless. Oh, really? Yeah, she was like, you know what? I need to advance my world here. So she decided to move to Wilmington, Delaware, where she had family. And she told Bob, I want you to come be with me but let me get there and get settled you know what i mean jamaica to wilmington that is a (laughs) yep that's where family was and she went to where some of her family was and and went there and you know um bob stayed behind because he was in the whaling whalers Mm. right and for for a bit there i read though he was homeless and he lived for a time in like various squatter camps until 
a friend took him in because he was in trench town. You know, he's, he was always kind of like on the edge of like, well, actually he wasn't even on the edge. He was on the, uh, he was broke mm -hmm. a lot of this early life. Um, and the early whalers composed of like Bob, Bunny, Peter, and there was another guy named Junior Braithwaite uh, and two girls, Cherry Green and Beverly Kelso, which did like background mm -hmm. uh, singers. And they auditioned, they got an audition with this guy named Coxon Dodd, um, who owned a record label called Studio One. Studio One was one of Jamaica's preeminent record labels and recording studios, once described as the Motown of Jamaica. The record label was involved with most of the major music movements in Jamaica during the 1960s and 1970s, such as reggae, dub, ska, and dancehall. In addition to Bob Marley and the Whalers, who recorded some of their most famous hits there with Lee Scratch Perry, a plethora of reggae greats such as Ken Booth, Burning Spear, and Toots and Maytals recorded there. The label and studio closed in 1980 when the founder, Coxoon Dodd, moved to New York. He passed away in 2004. And Coxon really loved their sound, the several songs. Um, and he wasn't truly impressed until I think it was Bunny who got Bob to play one of his songs, mm -hmm. which was Simmer Down. And uh, he played Simmer Down. He's like, that's it. Now I'm signed. He signed the Whalers as both performers and songwriters. Oh, because, awesome. you know, Bob was gifted and they mm -hmm. were all, and they were offered his standard deal. You want to hear the, the record deal? Yep. Um, a five-year contract for exclusive recording rights mm -hmm. and management and a guarantee of 20 pounds between them for every side. What? That's insane. No, I know. I know. Oh, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. I'm I like know. getting itchy. I know you are. You are. Yeah, I know you're scratching yourself start, right now. Scratching, you're scratching your just wrist. my wrist. Everybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded weird. I know your wrist. He also told Coxon did give them some good advice because he told them you need to pick a lead vocalist. Mm -hmm. You know, pick not just this vocalist that, but yeah, yeah. pick one lead vocalist. And after some discussion, this is where they decided yeah. that Bob would uh, sing lead. And I want to say that Coxon paid two pounds a tune per musician. And he frequently, they would record 20 songs in one day. 20 um, songs in yeah. one? How's that even possible? I know. They were big fans. So, you know, they loved R&B, uh, American R&B. They loved, mm -hmm. like, the impressions with Curtis Mayfield, who contained Curtis Mayfield, one of, one of my heroes, too. I love Curtis Mayfield. And Coxon, on this note, said, look, he urged them to kind of cultivate their own voice. So as time passed, the two girls, um, Cherry and Beverly, kind of fell away from the group. And when it was released, Simmer Down went to number one in the Jamaican charts. Oh, wow. And Coxon raised their weekly wages to three pounds. And for the rest <laughs> of like 1964, the Whaling Whalers were rarely out of the Jamaican charts. Oh, wow. You know. And when he learned that Bob didn't have a home of his own because his mom was in Delaware, he made a deal with Bob. And this is pivotal, too. This is really pivotal. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. I want to get my paper back up here because this is important. <laughs> but he told Bob, he made a deal with Bob. He said, look, you can live in the back room of the studio for free if you work with all the new artists on the label as well as find songs for them. And I think this is important in Bob's 
um, musical education as well as his, you know, I don't know if, yeah, musical education because he gained a lot of experience this mm -hmm. way. And in addition with the Whalers, he toured all over Jamaica and performed at dances, Simmer Down and all these yeah. songs that they did. And in 1965, the song One Love, as you know, we all know, mm -hmm. became a hit. And I want to say this to the Rocker Babies is that it was the norm back in Jamaica is to re-record a song until it becomes a really big hit, like internationally. Oh, wow. And One Love, we know, came out yeah. like, many years later. But we're gonna, we'll talk about that. But it was okay in... in, in um, in that way for them to re-record things until it became a massive wow. hit. Yeah. That song is so good. I know. I wish we could play the songs on the show because right now I can hear it. In my I know. Head. And like you know playing. what? That's good. I need our Rock of Babies to go and listen to our playlist. Yes, exactly. On our website. We have a website, rockabiespodcast.com, <laughs> in which we have all of the playlists for these mm -hmm. great artists, a Spotify playlist, and you go on there, and if you have Spotify or whatever, it'll automatically play through our website these all of these songs that we're talking about. A very about. curated playlist, curated by uh, Miss uh, Melissa. Mm. <laughs> but Michelle uploads it. She does <laughs> all of that stuff, you know, and I mean, it, to me it's a joy, just like it's a joy for Michelle to do what she's doing, but... You know, it takes you back when you listen to it, mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, they're such good playlists. Like, I catch myself just listening to it. And I'm like, I know oh, Nina so is like hard. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just all of them, even Elliot. Somebody listened to Elliot, by the way, mm -hmm. at my job, our Spotify playlist on so Elliot. Good. But anyway, so by this time, Bob met Rita Anderson, who had her own group called the Solettes, named after the Marvelettes. Um, the, I think they're a Motown group, mm -hmm. the Marvelettes. And Rita used to wave at Bob, Peter, and Bunny as they walked by her house every day. And one day, they just so less serenaded them as they passed. Oh, that's and so Peter Tosh came over because he thought she was a cutie pie. And he asked her to come audition for Cox and Dodd. Um, and he liked her, you know. He's like, mm -hmm. you're a cutie patootie. Why, Bob and all of them, like, leaned up against the wall looking at him. And their audition impressed Coxon and they were passed on to Bob. He he signed them mm -hmm. and they were passed on to Bob for management and to write songs for them. And I wanna say, um, you know, he's looked at it always Bob when you look at Bob he's always smiling mm -hmm. and stuff. But the the one area, like by the way, in the studio, and this is he was known throughout his whole life, even from a young age of his teens, he was known for being very disciplined and very serious. Mm -hmm. He didn't smile. Which is so weird. As their manager. Yeah. Like Rita talked about it, you know, in some interviews. I saw it. He said, um, because Bob's mantra was, you don't come to play, you come to work, he would tell them. He was mm. tough. He was a tough master. Um, but he was serious about studio work. Mm -hmm. And um, that's probably why he was great, Bob Marley. Yeah, but, totally. And we'll get to how he got his name. But by the way, another helper in the studio at this time, and who would, and he was a recording artist also at Coxon was Lee Scratch Perry. Oh. Lee Scratch Perry, who would play a big role with Bob until mm -hmm. the day Bob died. And we're going to talk about the musical aspect of what they came up with. But anyway, Rita and Bob fell in love. And knowing that he was going to go to Delaware shortly, 
to be with his mom and in, in an effort not to lose her. And I think other people were telling him to marry her as well. Mm-hmm. Four days after his 21st birthday on uh, February 10th, 1966, Bob and Rita got married. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Bunny and Peter weren't invited to the ceremony. Why not? That's that's a mystery. Um, <laughs> um, Did they not approve, or Peter still had? They was approved. Into her? They didn't care. The, Peter had long, you know. Peter was handsome yeah. and gorgeous and tall. He didn't care. Um, and Bob and Rita have been together for a bit, you know. But I think there was a little bit of pressure on Bob's side. Mm. He loved her at this time, you know. He. Loved her for the rest of his life. As his, I think she was his soulmate, but and we'll get to why. But um, and this is a reminder that his mom had moved to Delaware after giving birth to his his sister, Bob's sister Pearl, three years earlier. She was supposed to bring him over months earlier, mm-hmm. but it turned into that she had to get situated, mm-hmm. and she remarried an American guy. His last name was Booker, and she wanted Bob to come to the U.S. Bob was broke because Coxon didn't pay him enough talk about record Mm -hmm. labels um so he was pretty pretty feeling pretty frustrated so he left for delaware for a bit interestingly enough bob was known as lester to some of his friends and robbie to rita his name became bob during this time because when the passport clerk objected to the name nesta which is what sedella called him Mm -hmm. Since he was born, the clerk said Nesta is a girl's name <laughs> and it'll be misunderstood. And so he replaced it. He told him your name. He replaced it with Robert, but he shortened it to Bob. And he and he said, thanks to that clerk. Now we know thanks to that passport clerk. Hmm. He's n- known as Bob Marley. Wow. Yeah, because he would have been Nesta Marley. <laughs> Nesta Marley, right? Which is fine, too. I mean, a right. name is a name. Like, he would have... Right. And just Nesta, I read, meant messenger. I actually like Nesta. That Nesta. I like that name. It's beautiful, huh? I yeah. would have never told someone to pick Bob over Nesta. But, I mean, it yeah, obviously Nesta works, but Robert. I just don't see yeah. Nesta as a girl's name. Isn't that crazy? I think it's a nice name. I know. It like is Nestor is... But Nesta is nice. Nesta. I like yeah, it. Yeah, came from his dad's side, but... Bob revealed his marriage to his mom when he landed in Delaware, and eventually he found employment as a janitor at Wilmington's DuPont Hotel. Um, And during this time, he wrote songs and played his guitar in the Rastafari. And this is important, and I just want to say this. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head, is that the great Bob Marley worked as a janitor at the DuPont Hotel. So that lets you know nothing is too small. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you think about even about Elliot, Elliot had some like small also, minor Also, too, jobs. he had already had record deals at this point. And had know? hit, you know, yeah, hits in the Jamaican charts. But he was like, I got to, you know. I, like one I love had money. already been recorded. <laughs> right. One love had already <laughs> been, already and been simmer down. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's so 21 crazy. songs, you know, a day. That, that I but can't he wasn't comprehend. too, um, he wasn't too, um, ashamed of anything which i loved um and you know also uh, you know like i said he wrote songs and played his guitar in the kitchen and living room all of the time like elliot Mm -hmm. um he became interested in the religion rastafari during Mm -hmm. this time and interestingly enough during this year rita became a rastafari after seeing 
Haley Selassie. I mm-hmm. want to say his name right. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I feel but... like that's at least close to right. The Ethiopian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but don't hold it against me. Uh, Selassie visited Jamaica mm-hmm. during this time, and Rita, she gave a story about oh, I love how. This story. Yeah, she was like, if he w- if he waves at me or mm-hmm. looks at me, then I'm gonna know that that's a sign. Yeah. And it was a sign. He did. She said he looked right in her eyes. Exactly, like... and that let her know because yeah. Bob had been telling her about it that he kind of wanted to convert. I don't know if he fully converted, um, but um, she became a Rastafari after seeing that on Selassie on his visit to Jamaica. And in August 1966, she did join Bob in Delaware. Mm-hmm. And she and Bob returned to Kingston uh, two months later in October for two reasons. One, Bob resolved to set up his own record company with the Whalers. And two, he wanted to convert to Rastafari. That mm-hmm. was the case. Mm-hmm. And so Bob found a Rastafari tutor named Mortimer Planner and converted. And he grew dreadlocks, which are a part of the religion. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, you know, there are tons of um, photos of Bob smoking marijuana. And it's considered, marijuana is considered like a holy sacrament. And, and it's used mm-hmm. for medicinal purposes. Yeah, I love the way they the said religion. it, too. It's because it made you, because uh, uh, that it was like a spiritual thing. And because it made you... What were, what was it? It Bob was like happier something. and yeah, it was like happier and lighter, and there there was a reason for it. And I'm like, well, that actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because they felt like uh, the Rastafari beliefs, um, the when it's smoked by a Rastafari, the purpose is to aid in some type of meditational, mm-hmm. and is to help him or her achieve greater mystical mm-hmm. uh, insight into the nature of the universe. Yeah. I mean, Bob Marley would say, when you smoke the herb, it reveals you to yourself. Mm-hmm. And and they said it wasn't about getting high. It was about never connecting never. to that other piece. Exactly. And there are some that don't do it, but most, yeah, yeah. it was about how Bob I mean, that felt. makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think that this was a turning point, Michelle, because his Rastafari beliefs fueled his creativity mm-hmm. and he created such spiritual and masterful songs built on the Rastafari yeah. um, beliefs and it'll probably be a bumper about the Rastafari beliefs which I think are awesome but you know their god was black mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's yeah I think that that it's like it became he became intertwined do you know I think why their he, god is called Jah? Jah, well, it's just, you know, it just means God is mm-hmm. Jah. I think it's yeah. a, you know, because Selassie is considered the chosen one, mm-hmm. you know, the God. That's why he quotes about it in some of his songs, the living God is the living man. You know, Bob kept his promise. We dealt with, he converted to Rastafari as mm-hmm. he kept his promise. And he created a, a um, you know, he and the Whalers, cre- and with Rita's side, created a, um, record uh, a record label called a record company called Whalen Soul Whalen Solem with Peter Bunny and um Rita and her group the Soles and they signed a con- signed a contract with Danny Sims a manager um and the terms of the agreement with Danny who whose company was named Cayman Music um was he was supposed to receive royalties they were always supposed to see the royalties from their publishing 
and and two hundred pounds every fortnight. I don't know what fortnight. Two weeks. Every two weeks. Okay, yeah. there you go. And Bob and the Whalers would record two hundred and eleven songs for Danny Sims. <laughs> oh, but, that's so many songs. I know. Bonnie wasn't there to sign when they signed the contract because he was in jail on some trumped up charge. They really, you know, the police were really bad down mm-hmm. there, which is like you know, really is bad. But Bob wrote Stir It Up, and people know Stir It Up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, during this time, and they released it, and it became a huge hit in Jamaica. And um, Bob and um, Rita, along with uh, Peter and Bunny, moved to Bob's childhood farm, that he, which had been bequeathed to his mom, who was still living in Delaware. Oh. But... It was bequeathed to his mom because the grandparents died. And mm. so they all lived out there. And Bob wrote more songs such as Sun is Shining, which mm. is one of my favorites. And by the way, he wrote this song after listening to the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby on replay. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And um, we get to the third right foot story. While Bob was tilling the land out there one morning... He injured his right foot again for the third time with the blade of the hoe, you know, and he almost sliced his foot in two. This is nuts. That that right foot. And also another twist came about. Bunny's younger sister, so you know Bob and Bunny shared a sister named Pearl. And now Bunny's younger sister, Shirley Livingston, gave birth to Peter Tosh's first child, Andrew. Kind of further bonding these guys together. I feel like we need like a diagram to put everybody I together, know, right? Because you say all these it names just and bonded like, oh, them together. Everybody so, is connected. So, so Bunny is uncle to Peter Tosh's first child. Okay. And then Bunny and Bob share a sister. Yes. Okay. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's amazing. bonding right there. That's bonding. They that's, were, they that's were a best bonded friends. band. Yeah, those guys were close. They all eventually moved back to Trenchtown, Kingston, mm-hmm. maybe Kingston. And Bob and Rita's first child, Sadella, was born in 1967. They would go on to have four kids together. Um, he adopted her first daughter, Sharon. And importantly, in 1967 or so, Bob, with Rita beside him, went to his late father's family firm, Marley and Company, to ask, this is during the same year Mm -hmm. that um, Sadella was born. He was to, I heard one story that he was asking if he could borrow, if he could, if they could help him buy a car. And then this one, I read that it would help him buy a tractor. And his his father's two brothers refused his request, and they For refused him. For a tractor. Him. And they're like Even rich. a car is ridiculous. But even yeah, anything. Super rich. Super but even rich. anything. He, the dad was there his whole life. Was, yeah, and his dad was long dead. Garbage people. Yeah, yeah. That's wrong. <laughs> Garbage, yeah. It's wrong. You know? I don't care. Like, it's wrong. Especially, I mean, I it's wrong at any level, but it's especially wrong when you're super rich and you weren't even there. Like, what's money to you? Who the fuck cares? And he must have looked like the dad. I'm sure he did, even though he was mixed. I'm sure he did. Well, yeah, that um, you still can look like your family. Completely. Like completely. It's you just know. gross, though. Like, you have tons of money. Why wouldn't, like, who cares? Give him a... Give him him a a car and a tractor. Give him a car, a tractor, a house. I don't know. Just be a regular nice person. Oh, no. But, you know, 
he was he became very upset about that, yeah. and he wrote a song, and I want everybody to listen to Cornerstone. Because, oh, we were listening to that. You know, we show. listened to that about the stone. You know, that that you refuse becomes the head cornerstone, and mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant because he ended up making the Marley name the black the the black side of the Marley name mm-hmm. worldwide, and I think that's any beautiful. of the Nobody white kn- side. Any, yeah. yeah, and it's well again. Karma. Karma. That's what I was just <laughs> we thinking. Go to karma. karma. It's like it's pretty easy. Don't be a shit person. I right. don't know. Call me crazy. Back to an age of enlightenment. You. We're in the age of enlightenment we are too. In the age of enlightenment. And when you do stuff, and it was back then too, because look at what happened. Look at what happened. You know. Um, I mean, I highly believe in karma. I kind of feel bad when I listen to the song. I mean. But it's true, you know, and he's talking about don't refuse me in the song, you know. It's very and, sad. And, um, and but he did become a head cornerstone. He is one because it's still sad to carry that pain though to not be accepted. I by know a piece of you, which I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. That's... And you know what's so funny is that I read somewhere that some white Marleys were went somewhere in Europe. And they were like, "You're." This was after he had died, way after he died. And they, that somebody, I forget, I don't know where, I don't know who they are. Maybe it's good because um, they might be still to be alive. But they said to, "You're Bob Marley's like half brother or sister or whatever." And they were like, "Yeah." They got comped because based on the black side of the Marley Well, name. they probably, I mean, probably not everybody felt the same way either, you know? Like, well, I think that probably after he died and he became like this, and well, after he became super famous, it became easier to say, that's my, that's my cousin, you know what I mean? But also but probably who knows alive, what they knew they, too. You also have to understand, like, I'm sure like the dad's junk and the uncles are, but like you can't junk. It's called, but it's I called people I junk. Uh, from the, from the, even from that documentary, I don't know of any white Marleys that like came to him when he was alive. If they are, I'd love yeah. for them to come and talk to us. Like we're talking, they were talking about him after long yeah. after he had died. It's now, just so sad though. Like white Marleys that even when he became super famous, I would love for mm-hmm. them to contact us. You know, rockabyespodcast.com. Yeah, write you us. Know, write us. You know, redeem I mean? your name. Yeah, rock, you know, contact <laughs> us. Tell us, you know, if you contacted him when he was alive, because I would love to know it because I don't know. Because yeah, right case. now you're you're not looking good, White Marleys. You're not looking good. I know. Come on down. Come, Come on, on down. down. We, that's what I said. Redeem your name so we, we won't yeah. talk shit about the White Marleys. Yeah, there's a White Marley in the documentary yeah. who would listen to that Cornerstone song mm-hmm. and yeah. like, Ugh. you know, and it was, I think it was his dad or his uncle, something like that. Him and Bob were closely related, so... It was he his cousin. Like too. It was his yeah, cousin. Yeah, his first cousin probably. Cause I think they was, did look alike. Yeah, yeah, I think it was brother and sister's kids. Yeah, yeah. it was like his uncle. Like his, yeah, I think yeah, it was his... Because the his... uncle to Bob and the uncle... Because there was a few brothers. Norval had a few brothers, not just one. Yeah, like but they, they definitely looked alike. He just they looked, did. He looked like just a white Bob Marley. But I loved how his half-sister, who was half-black, because yeah. Norval loved him some... Um, he loved black women, obviously, um, his half sister was black and she mm-hmm. was the one that kind of helped me out even with what she said about look he b- took the name she's the one who said it she's yeah. the one who said it she it was took really the name awesome father than any of them yeah you know mm-hmm. anyway so around 1968 
Bob started spending at least two to three nights away from home each week. You know, mm. he stayed at his Danny Sims home or Mortimer's home and with other women. He would, um, you know, oh, and with goes. small children, I know this must have bothered, you know, Rita. And uh, by the spring of 1969, Bob traveled back to Delaware with Rita and the kids. And he got a job at the Chrysler plant driving a forklift and working second shift, which is from like 3 to midnight, 3.30 midnight. And he wrote a song later on called Night Shift, which mm. people can listen to, which was about that time. And Rita worked as like a nurse's assistant, but she was fired from have, for having dreadlocks, by the way. Fired for that? Yes, she was. Oh, that's terrible. I know. And Bob sat in the basement during this time and wrote a lot of songs and played his guitar. He also grew marijuana in his mom's backyard. Oh, yeah. They, they, do you see on the... They say, I thought that was like, brilliant. You could get in trouble at that point for having like a teeny tiny little joint, and that right in Jamaica or like Delaware. In, no, in Delaware. In Delaware, it was yeah. like crazy he had like bushes, right? Yeah, and he had like a. He full... started it when the first time he lived there. That's so funny. But here, most importantly, here we go. Bob told friends like Ibis Ibis Pitts that. He would die by the age of 36. Yeah, he would die at 36 years old. What? He actually said the time? Yes. I knew he, he was I knew he felt it when he was young, but oh, that He did feel that it felt it young too. Um there was something I read 36 that, that freaks. But he told Ibis and another guy that he wouldn't live much longer than like Jesus or something like that. He used Jesus as his um symbolism. Wow. Well, Jesus died at 33. Here we so go. He Left little... eye type of moment, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, they all knew. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but Patsy did the same thing. Patsy, Patsy was getting rid of away stuff. stuff. Like, by age 30. Like the 29. only one that lived a long time was crazy Nina. <laughs> <laughs> but Nina said she didn't want to live past 70. 70? No, she gave herself a timeline. She's like, boom. But she knew that SF, like right before 70, when she's like, I ain't got time for this. But yeah. You know what I mean? You're right. Nina, little nutty Nina. I tell you nutty that, little Nina's, joker. But, um, so but you're right. These youngins, mm -hmm. like, Bob was so psychic and... Um, and clearly psychic from a young age. Yeah. And like you said, with the word clear, he had a clear vision. Mm -hmm. Very clear I vision. think just drew... Once you see how much he worked, we'll mm -hmm. be able to see. But um, he returned to Jamaica after... But by the way, the only reason he returned to Jamaica is that... He, they were like, you need to go to war. And he's like, uh, I got to bounce. And this was like 1968, <laughs> Vietnam War. Yeah. And so they're like, uh, you going to stay in this country. You're going to get drafted. And Bob was like, deuces. <laughs> I got to go. See ya. Bye. And he got call papers to join the war. And he returned back to Jamaica. So it was great because he went back into the studio and, and he met with Lee Scratch Perry to produce his mm. album. Lee Scratch Perry, music producer extraordinaire, whom many call the reggae mad scientist. Lee Scratch Perry still records music and performs today. Since his time at Studio One and his groundbreaking work with Bob Marley and the Whalers, Scratch has worked with many artists of different genres all over the world, such as the Beastie Boys and Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones, who calls him the Salvador Dolly of music. Lee Scratch Perry is like still alive. He's I love amazing. this guy. He's amazing. I mean, the Beastie Boys did a song about Scratch Perry. Oh, really? On um, 
the one with Intergalactic, that oh. album. They did a they did a song called about Scratch Perry. He's People magical. Like I loved watching. I would love to interview Scott. Yeah, we saw him jumping around that that and studio in that documentary. They said he doesn't even communicate. Right. In he doesn't speak in. Like he speaks in whole a whole other like weird music. Way. Like he'll kind of be like, do this and like and jump I mean, around while he's yeah. at it and touch things. And he's so cute though because he's got to be pretty old now and he's still, yeah he, he is like in his eighties. But him and Bob had a chemistry and they those two were connected. Well, he was quite he was well he was very spiritual too because you know he shows that whole that part in the documentary with the yeah it was the fire the water. Africa exactly and it was Bob and him that this was they were young this was back in the 60s mm-hmm. late 60s or whatever and this is where we coming into how they created that sound so Bob and oh, Scratch sat song. down and they decided we don't want to make reggae music mm-hmm. we want to make revolutionary soul oh. you know which included this guy named Family Man, who was interviewed in that documentary. Because mm-hmm. Family Man was known for his bass playing. Mm-hmm. Him and his brother were big time studio musicians. And he was known, as, and so they decided, let's make the bass the lead instrument. So if you listen to Bob Marley's mm-hmm. sound, what him and Scratch Perry created, mm-hmm. um, it was with that bass. And they decided we don't want to do just reggae. We want to do revolutionary soul. And um, it was a mix of uh, four different styles of music anyway. Yes. They yes. said that it was, Country. it was, had, um, what's wrong with me? Uh, R&B. Well, R&B and then jazz, yep. rock as well. Right, rock. Rock, what's the, it I wasn't. I kind of feel like country because. But there was four. I don't know if country, but I do think. I don't know if it's country, but, you know, Redemption Redemption Soul has a bit of a, like that twang as Mm. it starts out. But he was four types of music, and they said definitely like that jazz. Because they loved American R&B. Yeah, yeah, specifically. They loved Curtis Mayfield, who's a musical hero, too. But, and he inspired Bob as well. Um, But you're right. It was something else, and I can't remember. If people can remember it, let us know. Um, the other thing, does this have to do with, because I thought this was really interesting, you know, yeah. the classic sound. The, I can't do it with my voice. Yes, Bob, that came out of that whole thing. Bob you know created that. Super yeah. weird. You know, it's so weird is that today, for no reason, I didn't even connect it at all. I I was just like, I have this new ambient delay pedal which i'm very excited about but anyway so i was just playing my guitar and i was like actually that came a little later because bob created a no but the the chicka oh it came during that so you're right you're right it comes from the whole point of this is that like i was fooling around with this delay pedal just for no reason just to be a nerd and play and then i didn't realize that that it actually it was synthetically made it first because it was a delay and it was yes and then that's and then they actually played it but it was originally made from a delay and that's how that whole sound was from an original delay pedal and i thought that was so cool that's awesome because i didn't know that right you're absolutely right now that i think about it yeah it was created from that whole era between him and scratch today i was doing that not even connecting the two i was just like oh that's this is by the way i like your socks Oh, they have records on it. And you know what's in my sock? You know sock? what? I love socks. There's a I crystal in my sock. <laughs> you know what I got? You know what kind of socks I got? I got, I should show you. 
but it is um, clueless socks that go oh, all the way up to my knees. Clueless, that's so good. Yeah, it has a clueless, socks. um, a clueless, um, like word on it. But that's really uh, cute. any phrase on it. But I have clueless socks. I love socks. But anyway, um, so Family Man and Carly would two and his brother Carly would tour and play in the studio with Bob for the rest of his life. But Scratch persuaded. This is important. This was initially was going to be a um, initially going to be a solo album for Bob, but Scratch told Bob he said, "Look, you need to bring Bunny and Peter back into this into the studio to make this record really special, you know." And he convinced Bob to do it, and Bob said, "Okay, you know what?" And in keeping with their vision, they all created two albums. Soul Rebel, which was released in 1970, and Soul Revolution, released in 1971. And it was a deal that was struck between Scratch and the Whalers, mm. Bob, Peter, and Bunny, where they would split the profits 50-50. And these recordings, and I would tell people to listen to them, resulted in the best work done by both parties. Mm. Hey, you want to also know why? Why? I think that contract, pretty fair. <laughs> It is. It's fair. It's it is. like, and that's, and it's weird that that was a brilliant. Recording. Well, they ended up getting into an argument, a fight. I didn't put no. it in here, but the, yeah. But yes, it was supposed to be that way, but Scratch later on Fair-ish. kind of forgot the terms of that agreement. Well, but yeah, there, you know, Peter didn't mess around and he, he kind of defended them along with Bunny. So, but you're right. It was fair. 50 yeah. 50. Fair Why not? Is better than, I mean, it's 50 more 50 fair. is better than, you know, here's two cents. 20, two cents. <laughs> like, Five cent, five cents for like yeah. you get ninety five cents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right, and I want to say that ten of ten of these songs were re-recorded by Bob mm. for release for the next decade for Island Records, and wow. that was part of the Jamaican uh, tradition of doing do-overs. Oh wow! Ten of these songs, wow! Because they created magic. These guys, mm-hmm. Bunny, Bob. Peter and Scratch and you know and I would even add in you know Family Man and and his brother in doing the, the studio work that they mm. did um but um I love it I love it and they released these songs these albums on their renamed label Tough Gong mm-hmm. and the Solettes had broke up so the Solum had broke up part of the record label that Bob had started with the with the Wailers and Later, Bob took that nickname of Tough Gong or Gong. Um, but this nickname was due to his label. Um, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with, like, any statement about Bob Marley. Because I think it was supposed to be about, you know, like a street fighter. And he was none of that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a street fighter. And it's important to also state that Scratch was an extrovert and Bob was an introvert. And through this collaboration that they did this magic that they did through these albums it kind of put you know the whalers back on like a prolific and creative course Mm -hmm. you know which is along with bob's rastafari and i think all of that played into this beautiful sound Mm -hmm. you know like you said that we know as reggae music today you know and which is very universal too like i mean it really does have a global audience you're right because you know what's so funny? I just saw this, and Bob Marley, this was probably before he died sometime. I don't know when he said this, but he said, my music would go on forever. You know, maybe it's a few 
fuel maybe it's a fool say that maybe it's a fuel to fool to say that <laughs> but when me know facts me can say facts my music will go on forever and i think that scratch and bob and peter and bunny this magic that they created and we know that their blood bond mm -hmm. was deep um was incredible i mean there's no question that it, it was meant to be for, yeah yeah i feel like there's like again with every artist we talk about there's a certain element i honestly believe of, of destiny like there's there's Completely. just certain we were things talking like about that before the podcast started. yeah like there's just there's too many things that went perfectly right and perfectly wrong. And right. I feel like when you look at those things, it's it's just completely, I believe in destiny. Kind of like you and I. Yeah, we met in a super random way. Like completely. Yeah. And I and do feel like are. that's sort of how, how magic happens. And yeah. it's just, you can't explain magic. And, you can, and what I loved, one of the guys, I can't remember who it was though, but it was one of the guys in the documentary and he was talking about I think what he said family was, man was interviewed in that documentary and so was a lot of these people. well it was about how Scratched there was it. there was uh he didn't necessarily use these words but it was something about this is the gist i got mm. that it was like god's music that would speak to everybody mm. and that was reggae and i completely. think that's really true because completely. it transcends like i don't know very many people that don't i mean i don't know anybody who doesn't like Bob Marley. I don't know anybody. I don't either. And yeah. you know what? I would hate you if you liked, disliked <laughs> And it Bob doesn't Marley. matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. It's just every transcendental. Yeah. Transcendental. I should say transcendental. Yeah. It's, it's, I, it's just interesting how it's just the more we talk, the more shows we do, the more we get to know, know. these different doesn't artists. It... We see these, like, I'm seeing patterns in everybody. And these are artists you wouldn't even put together. You wouldn't think Bob Marley, Patsy Cline, Elliot Smith in the same sentence. But I'm finding similarities doing these shows that there's a thing. I really feel emotional about this. I, I really know, feel it's emotional. kind of an emotional night. I feel emotional because, in a way, Michelle, even us doing this podcast, it's like I feel like like I am pushed to do what we're doing you know what I mean like I really feel like I don't care if one person listens out there you know I think we talked about this it's education and entertainment because what did you call it edutainment edutainment I like edutainment <laughs> because like even you and I we look so different but we're so alike yeah totally I think we're, I think people are a passion lot more for than... these people these people I think are speaking from another level we are us. insides we are not we that's uh, I mean that's what I think humans like I'm are. grateful it's... just sitting here looking at you <laughs> you're so cute I feel it's, the same way normally I'm laughing the whole time when we're... <laughs> I know normally we, we trust we're gonna get to some laughing here also um Bob Marley was intensely spiritual though like that was a big Completely. part of his message most of his work was through you and know he would say he was a messenger mm -hmm. all of his things that came through him he said he would say is a messenger and we just talked about how the um weed um and we're in california you know how it reveals you to yourself and mm -hmm. how you know it also it was mystical um but i just I just, this is like a, a fantastic moment. Oh. And I just know our Rocka Babies are going to experience so much more. And it's like, 
like I said, just even talking to one person out there mm-hmm. listening to us is a gift for me. Oh, absolutely. It's a gift. Um, and it, through Bob Marley, too. And Nina and Elliot Smith and Left Eye and Sam. Um, we're grateful. I mean, both of us can talk about, we'll talk about it at the end, how grateful we are to people listening to us mm-hmm. everywhere. But anyway, the Whalers hit the road and started touring extensively in 1971. And in 1972, the Whalers signed with CBS for an album, which oh, is interesting. Oh, here comes the laughs. Sorry, here I heard go. 1972. <laughs> exactly. Uh-oh. 1972 yeah. is oh, a big yes. year. Boom, boom. Here we go. It's but a Sam Cooke year. Yes, it is a Sam Cooke year. But <laughs> they released an album which failed because CBS wouldn't promote it, by the way. Oh. Um, it's like the Whalers on Broadway or something on Broadway. Very gay on Broadway. And during this time, they rehearsed heavily and only got one stage show that caused this and this caused discord with them Uh oh my paper fell but this caused discord in the group and um through a friend bob set up a meeting with chris blackwell which was a jamaican owner of island Mm -hmm. records who lived in london at the time and chris had wanted to sign bob and the whalers for a while he went to them but it didn't work out and so he cut a deal with them he would give them 4,000 pounds to return to Jamaica and make an LP. And when he received the final tapes, they would get another 4,000 pounds. And he also agreed to give Tough Gong, their record mm-hmm. company, the rights to their recordings in, Carib- in the Caribbean. Because we said they were big in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, but but did al- they get to keep, did they keep their publishing or is that? That I don't think so. See, that's, like, it's fine to get paid a little bit if you don't have any publishing. That's, ooh. Yeah. I mean, they still weren't up on that, I don't think. And, mm. you know, um, but he also told, gave us some great advice. He told them, you need to become a tight road band, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he bought Bob Marley and them out of their contract with CBS for a further 4,000 pounds. And two, he gave two percentage points to Danny Sims. That would become important on every record sold. So Danny, Danny Sims, I call him Dammy. Dammy, is that foreshadowing? Dammy? Yes, it is. Danny Sims, <laughs> you know, calling him Dammy from now on. You know, according to what I read, got two percentage points on every record sold. Mm-hmm. And Danny kept Bob Marley's songwriting publishing all of it i don't know oh. if it's all of it but later for their next album bob wrote the song burning and looting about that first meeting with chris wow Bob. yeah and They're sharks though like it's serious just i know god and it's like they go into the you know record companies go into the meeting with an artist like yourself and everybody else with this plan of i'm gonna take the most that I can't out of you. And artists are hungry. Like you're hungry. You're totally. And sometimes very. Literally not, hungry. Literally hungry. Not just figuratively. So literally. it's just like. I, I empathize. So I mean. I've been there a billion times. But it's just like. It's it's just. It's just. There's got to be a better way. Because music's never going to go away. Like we're never going to have a time that music doesn't exist. Music is part of our everything. And 
there's just got to be a better way to combine the two, which I think is happening to a small level, but this shit I don't think still it's happening. Happens. You keep you said that in the last one too. Mm-hmm. That it's happening in an age of enlightenment type of way. I think. Yeah, it's slowly because it's still you know music has become almost free. So okay, so we just had our guardian angel come in, who's beautiful and black and white like Bob. Yeah, he's like Bob. He's his perfect. name is Scotty. Scott Scotty is actually cat. he's the he's the mascot well, of the show. We should put him on. Uh, the Instagram. Well, you know what? We're going to put a picture of Scott on the oh Instagram. Scott is a magical creature. He's about to jump up on there. He's, he's, he's here every time he's thinking, for the show. You know what? That lets us know. Maybe, you know, because don't they say that animals, especially cats, have a way to the other side? Oh, yeah, they do. So maybe there's somebody coming in. We don't know. Maybe Bob. Oh, I love Hi, this. We're getting all to my, this is my I know. vibe. I, I love, love this it. stuff. So we have another Sam Cooke situation, like you said, about Bob. Bob made the, like Sam, he made the ladies thing sing. (laughs) All right. He had diamonds on his thing, Michelle. Oh, it's ridiculous. So while he was in London in 1972. The big year. Yeah. Literally. Rita gave birth to Bob's second son, Stephen, mm-hmm. who was born on actually Marijuana Day. Oh, yeah, 420. 420. He was born on 420. 420, 1972. Uh, hi, Stephen. Uh, and less than a month later, Robbie Marley was born on May 16, 1972, to Pat Williams. And then three days later, <laughs> on May 19th, my dad's Megan, birthday. Your dad's birthday and Meghan and Markle's, Markle's wedding. Wedding birthday, 1972. <laughs> I love that it's a Meghan Markle's wedding. I know. Even... And your dad. Your dad. No, no, no. I'm laughing that it's not even Harry's wedding. It's Meghan I know. Markle. We're already t- talking about it. And it's going to come out way before then. Uh, Rohan Marley was born to Janet Donner Hunt. You know, there's a discrepancy about her last name. but And by the way, for all our uh, rocket babies, Rohan would go on to sire five kids with Lauren Hill. Oh, yeah, because she has a ton of kids. Yeah, by Rohan. I love that you said yeah. sire. He's like a horse. I love sire. I love it. Well, he might be. <laughs> he might be. These they, Marleys, these Marley, they these make Marleys thing are sing. They're magical. Men. <laughs> wow. They're like their dad, right? Right, Scott? Anyway, um, as time went on, Bob would come to deny his marriage to Rita. Oh, wow. In an interview, he would say, me never believe in marriage that much. Hmm. Marriage is a trap to control me. The next year, Bob Marley had another child. One born in England, all right, 1973. This time, it was was a daughter named Karen, um, whose mother had a fling with Bob while in London. Mm. He was no joke, that Bob. He I was, mean, who has four <laughs> kids in less than 12 months? I'd say about five or six by, by this Oh, yeah, time. you're right. Because that's, that's 74, right? Are we at 74 uh, or 73? Yeah, like right so by 73. And he had a lot. Now, Damien, Damien was born in 1978, but he had a few more kids to go before 1978. Mm-hmm. But, um, and actually, the last kid of Bob Marley was born in 1981. Yeah. After he died. Wow. 
a few days after he died. So, but we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, I don't know, Michelle. Like, he was so charismatic and beautiful. And, and I know that Rita must have been bothered because she had small children during this time. I don't know how you couldn't be bothered. I don't no. understand open relationships. I mean, I'm sure was, they exist. It's not. I don't get it. I think he felt like he was too young when he got married. Because what? They married in 19... He was 21. He was 21. That is too young. That's definitely too young for yeah. a boy, I think. Yeah. I think that's too young. I mean, Even whatever, for Rita. Strong, but Even for Rita. It's young. Um, it's young. I yeah. don't think people... I mean, I've voiced my opinion on this before. And I don't... You know, yeah. of course, there's exceptions to every rule. But I really... I hope my children don't get married until they're 30. <laughs> exactly. Before you get, but, but I think Bob was, but look, we're looking at somebody who died at 36. Yeah. So it's good. You know, he had, so he was he on had, a mission like Sam Cook. Sam Cook had seven kids before 33. Them out. And Bob had a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Bob definitely must've had seven kids before 33. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would the, say, again, like my ridiculous comment about that, you can't control anything. And sometimes so I, I think do think there's Bob a destiny. Bob was pushed thing. by, de- like what you were talking about, destiny. Mm, I really do Like you it. and I aren't pushed by those same type of standards, mm-hmm. um, destiny standards, right? And I think that with Bob, um, I think he, like we talked about, he knew he wasn't going to be here for long. Yeah. And I, I read somewhere that his one of his pickup lines was, do you want to have a kid by me? Wow. Have a kid by me. You know, he was so charismatic and beautiful and gorgeous, you know. Um, and he always had a smile on his face. Yeah. He always, I mean, I think you and I would have, I say this about, I know, I say this about me, about Sam Cook, but you and I would have probably been in that mix. <laughs> he was non-discriminatory. He loved all women and beautiful women. And um, that was the beauty, I think, about him. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, they said about, you know, in 19, I want to say, you know, it's funny during this time in 1972, they said about recording a new album for Island Records, um, at Harry J's, um, which is one of the best studio in town down in Jamaica. And as well as the three whalers and the Barrett brothers, we talked about family man. Um, Marsha Griffith and Rita Marley, they provided background vocals for this album. Um, and by the way, the group had already recorded and released half of the songs on the rec- on the record, as we talked about as being do-overs mm-hmm. time and time again until they finally have a hit. But the album was called Catch a Fire for Island Records. That was their first album. Mm-hmm. And it came from the song Slave Driver on the album that Bob wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, after Chris came in and heard their songs, he was like, oh, my God, incredible, impressive, amazing. And he asked them to sign a contract. Um, and this album would go on to rank 123rd on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. Oh, wow. Many years later. and But when Catch a Fire was released in, in uh, Britain in December 1972, the group had toured Great Britain in the late in late spring of 1973, right after that. And back in Jamaica, Bob was given land 
um, government land at Bull Bay, which is like 10 miles east of Kingston. Mm -hmm. And this is where Rita built their, their family home. But Bob was rarely there. He lived at Chris Black Blackwell's house, rented house on 56 Hope Road. Oh, wow. You know, with Esther Anderson at the time, which, who, who was an actress and model who had flown down to Jamaica from New York. And um, his harmonica player, Lee Jaffe, moved into 56 Hope Road as well. There were a lot of tenants there. Mm -hmm. You know, Cindy Breakspear was there. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, Lee Jaffe moved into 56 Hope Road and pretended that Esther was his girlfriend, Tarita. Mm. And we talked about Cindy just now, yeah. um, who Bob had first met it at his manager, Danny Sims' house. Um, but she lived there with her brother. And um, we all know that she would become, she would go on to become Miss World Jamaica. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a story, but in 1976, she would, became Miss World. Mm -hmm. And she would, would be one of his great love of his life. Yeah. Um, and she would give birth to Bob's last son, Damien, in 1978. But we all know that Bob would eventually sire like 13 kids so by nine mothers. And only 11 are recognized, but... But also, just like, let's let everybody but know. But talk about her Canadian roots. Oh, well, I mean, it's not a big story, but uh, Cindy was Canadian because her... Half Canadian. Half, well, half Canadian, yeah. I mean, but she had Canadian roots. Because yes, she did. her mom was actually, her dad was Jamaican, and her mom, I think she was, wasn't she born in Toronto, though? Maybe. I think... I think, but don't quote me on this because I'm not Cindy, sure. If you, Cindy is still alive. She's yeah, no, still she's beautiful. still alive. She's gorgeous. Uh, she's and if she wants to Miss come World, on the show. 1976, she she's gorgeous. so beautiful yeah. when they showed those pictures. But I'm her like, mom is of English stunning. descent, and I'm pretty sure she was born in Toronto, but her dad was Jamaican. And then I think she grew up in Jamaica. But I just know she had a Canadian connection. Completely. Yeah. And I want to say, I've looked at interviews with Rita, and Rita is still like Rita looks. Like, ridiculous Gorgeous. and rita's got to be like close to 70 now if not 70 she doesn't look it no what are you talking about looks, no i'm just saying she must be but she looks she incredible looks like 30 oh it's silly yeah she oh. was she was born so cindy um, breakspear was born uh in toronto wow yeah god That's bless what I you cindy god bless you her and son's god bless my you. age yeah yeah, Damien. Yeah. Um, and Damien had a hit called Welcome to Jam Rock. Hmm. Oh, he had yeah. a huge hit. Yeah, he did. Um, this is the weird part about all this. A lot of the kids have. Yeah, I mean, kids. they've all they've kind had of Grammys had and stuff like that. The weird part about all of it, though, is that he remained married to Rita the whole time. That's the part that we're... Because it's not yes. like... It'd be one thing if these were affairs that weren't fully acknowledged but like cindy was super public and he wrote completely love like they showed cindy. a picture of them yeah and they showed they pictures the of them yeah but especially when she became miss world yeah um because they called him beauty and the beast or yeah. something like crazy like that but rita made a good you know i think cindy was his great love mm -hmm. and rita, he wrote is this love about her right he did like waiting in vain mm -hmm. was about i'm hearing about cindy but but rita i think was even and I don't want Cindy to feel funny about this, but Rita was his soul mate. 
because she traveled the world with him. And Rita gave an interview about how she felt like he belonged to the people. And she knew there was a higher purpose mm. to Bob. And she respected that. She said they really respected each other. She was and like... Uh, <laughs> because let's not get it twisted. Like, she was like Hillary with, with her Exactly. Ambition. She was like Hillary. But Hillary's also... like, you know what? I'm going to stick this out. <laughs> I'm going to stick this out. And, you know, because when you see something as great as Bob Marley and Bill Clinton too. But, you know, it's so funny with... Um, with Rita is that also Bob would still come to Rita. You know, when he was, him and Rita, he and Rita, and we're going to get to where she became the I3s. We're mm. going to get to that. She was his backup singer on all of, they, they traveled the world together. And he would still come and see Rita. Rita maintained his dreadlocks. Wow. People don't know that. You know, Rita, Rita would be the one to go, okay, girls, it's time to leave now. When it'd be different, you know, when he needed to clear out his room. And we're going to talk about that. But, you know, Rita was his everything. But I feel like you can still have a deep connection to someone, even if Oh, she, you they still, had a deep connection. Even um, if it doesn't necessarily work out perfectly in the eyes of whatever Rita, it's supposed to be. Rita and Bob had an unconditional love. Mm -hmm. It was unconditional. And, you know, because Rita, look, Scott's over there. Hi, Bob. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Rita was, Rita and Bob, and I don't talk about this in the outline, but I'm going to bring this up because I think this is important. Like, they would take other people's, like Bob's kids that he desired by other people, mm. they took them in. Mm. Like Robbie, you know, by Pat Williams, who was mm -hmm. interviewed in that Marley yeah documentary and uh rohan i think rohan was ended up being raised by sadella booker his grandma but they, rita was so incredible in that way and if rita's listening to this she is another mm -hmm. one of our i mean she's our musical hero just by being rita yeah no it's very true you know because sadella talked about it in the marley documentary that not to say it didn't bother her mm -hmm. about everything that was going on because they shared separate um, hotel rooms when they went on tour. And she said that, you know, when her dad would see that, you know, the kids were bothered by the fact that because he respected Rita so much that he would say, okay, let's go for ice cream. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go for burgers. You know what I mean? To make them feel comfortable mm -hmm. um, about everything. And even though they didn't, but, you know, um, maybe it took Sadella to kind of voice her true opinions, mm -hmm. which I think were incredible in that documentary. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's called Marley. It was Such released in 2012. Yeah, it's so good. And there's lots of great books, too. But anyway, so following that first major UK tour, which we talked about in, um, in 1973, uh, the Whalers immediately set out about working on their second album, which is called Burning. For Island Records in London and this is amazing is by the time the Whalers session began the Rolling Stones were also recording in the same studio complex and fish finishing off uh, for the Rolling Stones um, fans Goat's Head Soup album and the album would you know the album that Bob Marley did with the Whalers would kick off the get up and stand up which was jointly written by Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. Oh, wow. You know, in 1973, right before the U.S. tour days, Bunny quit the tour. 
And the reason why Bunny quit the tour is because Bunny asked Chris Blackwell what kind of venues were they playing in the U.S. And Chris replied, freak clubs. Now, that has a whole different connotation now. But back in the day, freak meant hippie types. But Bunny didn't know that. Yeah. Bunny interpreted that as meaning that they were performing clubs full of, like, Babylonian yeah. uh, degenerates. So he thought it was, like, against the religion, though. Yeah, so like, against the religion and yeah. some sex nonsense yeah. that he was like, I ain't got time for all that. And he's like, I, I'm not going to participate in this. Mm-hmm. And I want to say on one of the tour dates, they ended up touring anyway without Bunny, sadly enough. Uh, and on one of the tour dates at the legendary Max's Kansas City in New York City, they played a six-night residency with a new young singer from New Jersey named Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that's so awesome. Coming up in part two, we are going to talk about what happens after Bunny quits touring with Bob Marley and the Wailers. Yeah, there's a lot more to come. There is. And I just want to say that Michelle and I, you know, Rockabye, our Rockabye podcast is so grateful for all of our listeners around the world. We are. You know, our local listeners, our around the world listeners. For Mongolia. We're happy. <laughs> Bangladesh. I, I love saying Bangladesh. I know. I say you're that. very happy about that. Um, and Brazil and, you know, the UK, right? Canada. Canada and Europe. And we are so grateful. Yeah, I mean, we guys. love it that you're listening to two music history geeks who loves talking about all of these wonderful artists, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. And go on our website, Rockabye's Podcast, and you can listen to our playlist, our Spotify playlist, mm-hmm. even through our website, and can hear all of their wonderful tracks that made them great. They're great anyway, but listen to like their track and also you know what we have an instagram too what's our instagram Instagram and our twitter is rockabye's pod so please follow us and And if you like us which i hope you do please subscribe subscribe and tell all your friends because we're doing this and we have zero zero promotion of any kind and and things have gotten gotten out i know it's great like people in mongolia listening to you know how far (laughs) that way that is and whoever you are in mongolia and bangladesh and brazil um thank you for listening thank you for listening to everybody we really appreciate it because we really love what we're doing yeah it's very fun so we're gonna be back with um part two part two of of mr bob marley so we will see you guys soon thank you so much rockabyes for behind the scenes looks or more information or just to be part of the conversation please join us at www.rockabyespodcast.com